This is episode number 02 of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jessie Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. So we're really excited for this episode about preparing your pelvic floor and core for birth. And Jess and I get questions about this topic a lot. So we're really excited to share information um, and to clear up a few myths around preparing your pelvic floor for birth. Generally, I find online or in uh, childbirth education classes, a lot of clients come in and something that I actually experienced as well was really the information out there is just go and do some Kegels and perineal massage. And so what did you find, Jess, kind of going through your experience and what do clients end up telling you? Is this similar to what my clients have gone through? Mm -hmm. A lot of my clients are told do your Kegels. That's how is best to prepare for a strong pelvic floor for birth. That's what they're told by their healthcare providers. If they're told about perineal massage, it is not common whatsoever. They might be told that from their midwives or if they have a doula on their team. But in terms of more traditional birth healthcare providers, that is really not a conversation that's being had whatsoever. And from my personal experience, I was in midwifery care during my first pregnancy, and we didn't talk about preparation for the pelvic floor for birth at all. I don't remember any conversations about it, which I think is so interesting uh, looking back. And I thought it was interesting at the time too. I didn't think or feel like I wanted to bring up the conversation only because I had a good amount of knowledge and education myself previously, thankfully, thanks to healthcare providers like Anita and other pelvic health physios that I was working with in person at the time. But it really just wasn't part of the conversation. And I think that it's so unfortunate because then we turn to the internet uh, and perhaps less trustworthy or less optimal sources of education to get our pelvic floor prep for birth information and it tends to be do your kegels and that's about it Mm -hmm. yeah i would agree it's it's pretty common to be told to do kegels um for birth and this is a really interesting discussion because we want to make sure um those who are listening that we're specifically talking about the event of birth so not necessarily during pregnancy, we're not talking about postpartum recovery, but specifically for the birth event, if Kegels are really going to help. And so this idea of doing Kegels is really about strengthening or learning to contract your pelvic floor. And when it comes to birth, this idea of tightening or drawing up and in these muscles doesn't necessarily help 
when we're trying to get baby to exit that same part. So really what you want to be learning is how to release um, tension in these muscles, how to learn to relax them during birth, during labor and during the actual pushing phase. So we're going to make sure to link in the show notes um, a short video I did, which shows the technique that I teach clients and it's called the flower bloom breath. So this idea of using your diaphragm or kind of your deep breathing muscle to help your pelvic floor release and relax during this and practicing this during pregnancy is really key. And then having someone when you're in labor, whether it's a partner or a support person or a doula remind you of this while you're going through labor and the pushing phase as well. Mm -hmm. So what, what would be something Jess, you would say in terms of Kegels, um, like, why do you feel like people are told to do Kegels for birth? A lot of my clients make the comment that their healthcare providers want them to have a strong pelvic floor so they're best able to push the baby out during birth. Why is that perhaps not the correct approach? So with I think there's a lot of again, especially during pushing, there's a lot of focus on having strong muscles to push our baby out. When really the main muscle that pushes our baby out is actually our uterus. And I think a lot of times we just don't think of the uterus as a muscle, but it's a muscle and it's a very strong muscle and we can't control it. So when the baby reaches a certain point, inner pelvis, um, spontaneous, spontaneous pushing can happen. And that's where basically the uterus kind of takes over and is going to be bare. You'll feel this bearing down feeling the uterus will be pushing baby out. And so what we want to do is actually learn to relax the pelvic floor. So relax the outlet of where the baby is coming out to allow the uterus to actually do its job. So if we're tightening, drawing up and in during this time, it can make pushing more difficult. And I have some clients say, you know, when I see them with their second pregnancy, they said it was really frustrating with their first birth because they felt like they weren't, you know, pushing right or they didn't know how to do it. So I think something that's important that often gets missed is trusting our body and our uterus to do that really important job versus us trying to strengthen all the muscles around to help. We actually need to learn to release and relax and let go, which then allows the uterus to do that amazing work to help baby actually birth. And I can speak to this from my personal perspective as I'm a person that holds a lot of tension in the pelvic floor. That's my go-to and really has been my go-to for as long as I can remember, not since just pregnancy or postpartum. So for me, practicing kegels in preparation for birth would have been the opposite of what I really wanted to teach and train my body to do. So I spent a lot of time focusing on more down training of the pelvic floor, really focusing on releasing and relaxing versus gaining strength in order to prepare for childbirth. One strategy that can be helpful in preparing the pelvic floor for birth is perineal massage. So mm-hmm. this is soft tissue work to the perineum, which are the tissues that surround the pelvic floor, the vagina, the anus. And this does have research and evidence-based studies to suggest that it can help decrease the risk of perineal trauma, including episiotomies or higher degrees of tears to the perineum during birth. 
So this research um, did show decrease and it was really for first time moms and it was even more so for episiotomies and there's kind of, that's a whole other discussion with kind of why maybe episiotomies. There's a lot of reasons why episiotomies happen. Um, but the thought is this could also be that those um, expecting moms who did do the perineal massage may be more motivated to keep an intact perineum, which then could have helped with decreasing the episiotomy rate. Um, but something that hasn't been researched, I would love if at some point it could be, is actually the mental preparation of doing perineal massage. And so this idea of having that tissue be stretched and have that stinging or uncomfortable feeling and knowing how to breathe through it. So using that flower bloom breath that we recently talked about. And I know I've had a lot of clients say it was helpful. I know I found it helpful as well. Um, and generally perineal massage is started around 35 weeks. So I don't know about you, Jess, but I remember being 35 weeks and thinking there's no way I'm going to be able to reach that area, put the proper amount of pressure to really get any benefit from it. So I'll often teach clients how to do perineal massage and for them to teach their partner or in the third trimester, um, I always invite partners to come in with the client so that I can teach them, you know, using the pelvic model um, that I have in the clinic. So they really can understand, you know, the different techniques and even just doing it a couple times a week. And again, having the client breathe through it can just help them mentally. So when they get to that point during birth, especially that crowning um, part of birth, that they can feel more confident that they know how to breathe through this part. Yeah, I can really speak to that from the perspective of using the EpiNo. So I didn't do perineal massage, but I did use the EpiNo, which is a product that you can buy. And it is almost like this balloon that you insert into the vagina slightly not throughout the full length of the vagina it is stays far away from the cervix but it's really just inserted slightly into the vagina and then you are able to slowly and gradually blow this balloon up it has a little device that you're able to just squeeze and it blows up slowly and gently uh, and this I can't speak to if this helped my perineum during birth because we went on to have a c-section but mentally going into labor I did feel much more confident and that I could somewhat understand what that sensation of that stinging that pressure that slight discomfort might feel like when I got to those stages of birthing baby vaginally did you use yep. one yourself yeah, I would say we have very similar experience with that in terms of I use the EpiNo as well, um, more so than perineal massage. And I would use my breathing. I would listen to even um, the hypnobirthing meditation during to help relax. And then during the actual birth, when Pippa was actually crowning, like I didn't get that ring of fire that I find a lot of people talk about. So that actual phase, I didn't feel the typical burning. I do feel like the EpiNo epi had a part in that just because mentally I had really prepared for that too and how to release and relax um, those muscles. So depending where you're listening from, the EpiNo can, it's generally purchased um, online. Some clinics will carry it as well. Not all countries um, 
are able to um, to sell the EpiNo, and it stands for no episiotomy, and it was made in Germany, and a lot of clients use it around the world, so that may be something that you may be interested in having. It also can be helpful after birth, um, and it can be used technically during pregnancy, but for a different purpose. So usually as of 35 weeks, you could use it for that gradual stretching, but before or after birth, you can use it as almost a biofeedback tool with strengthening the muscles. So actually doing pelvic floor strengthening or core strengthening in general, and it'll give you feedback on how those muscles are engaging. So a little bit different way to use it. Um, I find most clients um, use it for the actual kind of gradual stretching and breathing in preparation for birth. As we'll talk a little bit more, there's so much involved with tearing and episiotomies of why those things happen. So just to know perineal massage and the epino can be used as a tool nothing can guarantee that you're not going to tear or you're not going to have an episiotomy. So just be aware if you're online and some someone or something is guaranteeing that this will prevent, we can't actually ever say it will 100% prevent. Um, but these different techniques can help you prepare mentally and can help you prepare physically um, if that is one of your goals. Mm-hmm. And we just wanted to mention the perineal massage and the epino. And of course, they could both be used, but the epino does come at a pretty high price tag. I think when I ordered mm-hmm. it, it was maybe around 200 Canadian. Um, and of course, perineal massage is free. So uh, again, tools that you can use. And if it fits into your budget, it might be an interesting strategy for mm-hmm. you to try. And so talking about types of exercise that can prepare your pelvic floor for birth. Um, was there anything specifically you did just for the pelvic floor in regards to uh, labor prep? So I, my main form of movement and exercise during pregnancy was strength training based exercise. And I did not specifically do what you might think of as pelvic floor exercises. So I wasn't lying down and contracting my pelvic floor a hundred times and then getting up for the day and saying that was my pelvic floor exercises. It was really more so that I was integrating movement and breath and strengthening into my workout routine and then also thinking about how my pelvic floor was functioning during the activities of my daily life. So when I was lifting, when my body was under load, really considering the work that my pelvic floor was doing during during those times. So for example, during strength training exercise, I would be pairing my exhale breath with the exertion that I was doing on squats or deadlifts, pushes or pulls. And then we want to balance that type of exertion work with also more down training or relaxation based uh, movement or exercise or intention. So we want to have this strengthening and exertion, but also paired with these other types of more leisurely movements that are restorative in nature. So for me, for my clients, what that looks like might be some mobility type work. It might look like breathing exercises where we're really focusing on slowing down and feeling the breath move through the entire uh, abdomen, trunk, abdominal wall, and the pelvic floor. And for some people, it is very specific exercises that they have received from their pelvic health physio that is getting them into positions where they can feel the pelvic floor actually move down, lengthen, widen, stretch, things of that nature. 
Yeah, I would agree with, um, I see a lot of clients and I was the same during throughout pregnancy. I did a lot of strength training. That's just always been a part of, um, my activity and exercise I love and then exactly how you're saying balance it out with release work and a lot of clients I see are the same and I really focus especially in the third trimester of really amping up the release work so even more than if they're continuing to strengthen which is fantastic really making sure they get a lot of that release work and some clients and myself I loved prenatal yoga whether that was class or specific doing my own practice at home Um, If you're not a prenatal yoga fan, that's totally fine. There are also some really great um, stretches or poses. One of my favorite is actually Malasana, um, which is a yoga pose. It's a really deep, we call it like a passive squat. So you should be pretty relaxed into it. I'll have a lot of clients, if you feel tense in it, I'll actually have them put a yoga block underneath their pelvis so they can sit and release. I know I found that helpful as well. And so being in that posture, or there's so many different postures or stretches to help open the pelvis and lengthen the pelvic floor and then add that flower bloom breath onto it can be really, really helpful. As you get closer towards birth, doing that breath in different labor postures is also going to be really helpful. So I really educate clients on this brain body connection. So if you've practiced this breath in all these different postures that you may want to go into during labor, it, it can be that much easier for your brain to connect to that when you're in it. I think that's a big part um, that for some is a bit of an issue when you go to prenatal classes and they teach you how to breathe, but then you never practice it. And then you go through birth and you're like, well, that didn't work. My clients come back postpartum and say that they practice their flower bloom breath in every posture about a billion times. Um, And that's then when it really kicks in during labor because their brain and body has done it so many times. It's something more natural for them versus you're to learn something brand new when you're in labor can be challenging. Um, So yeah, so kind of what we've talked about with exercise preparing the pelvic floor for birth if you're doing strength training fantastic remember what we talked about the actual strength training isn't necessarily um, benefiting the birth process it's all the release work you're going to do to actually help the pelvic floor um, release and that can also be you know meditation body scans other mindfulness techniques to be able to release and relax those muscles and general tension in the body too which is really important One more note about strength training in pregnancy, something that we tend to use with my clients throughout their entire pregnancy or as they get further along into that third trimester is knowing that say on that exhale breath on exertion, when you are, for example, standing back up from bottom of the squat to top of the squat, you might not be thinking about lifting or contracting or gaining tension through your pelvic floor as you stand up. You might simply just be focusing on the breath work during that down portion of the squat. Say you're inhaling as you go down, exhaling to stand up. In every rep, it does not have to be this Kegel action that is happening. So for me, it was super key that I was not doing that because I know the sensations of pelvic floor tension 
hypertonicity and it can ramp up pretty quickly for me if I was to focus on doing a Kegel in say 50 reps of squats just during a workout, not even considering the rest of my life. So for me, I just bring it back to the breath and focusing on the inhales and exhales and uh, knowing and trusting that my pelvic floor was going to be responding adequately to that amount of load. No, I think that's a really good point. And something I also wanted to mention too is for any expecting moms listening, and this is a subsequent birth, um, you may be wondering like, how do I know if I have a tight pelvic floor? I've had a baby, so I've been told my pelvic floor must be really loose. Um, I need to strengthen. Why bother doing this release work? And I think something important we want you to know is this release work isn't going to make your pelvic floor loose and really lax. And likely if you've had a cesarean birth or if you've had tearing or an episiotomy, and even if you haven't, you may very well actually have tension in your pelvic floor that you need to release. So just to be aware, I mean, the the best way to know is to see a public health physiotherapist. They can check your pelvic floor. They'll give you the information specifically to you if you have any tension there. Um, But just to be aware that just because you've had... Um, whether cesarean birth or vaginal birth before doesn't mean you don't carry tension and doesn't mean you don't need to learn how to release and relax your pelvic floor for birth. Mm -hmm. And if you are going into a cesarean birth and you're pregnant right now and you know that cesarean is the direction that you're going in, all these techniques and practicing this release work can be so helpful postpartum as well. So if you know you're not going to have a vaginal birth, this type of release and relaxation work can still help you postpartum in your recovery and the function of your core and pelvic floor. No, that's a really good point, Jess. And something that I really wanted to bring up uh, during this episode was this idea of the fear, tension, pain cycle. Um, Some of you listening may have heard this before in general or specifically for labor. And I'm curious, Jess, if this was something that you had thought about during your pregnancy, you know, preparing for birth and kind of what it means and kind of what you did to try to help this in preparation. Mm -hmm. I think this is such an important point to talk about. And although we slightly touched on this with the epi note, it really got me thinking about it even more. I'm someone that likes practice and I learn through practice and I feel a lot more comfortable with a lot of practice. I'm always someone that has been a little nervous and a little anxious when I go into new situations. And I think that we can probably relate to that when we think about going into birth and there's just so much what ifs and what's it going to feel like and will I know when I go into labor and what's a contraction like and those are all questions that were on my mind so much so I think using the epino was really effective for me because it just gave me a slight bit of peace of mind and again I was triggered and remembered when you brought up that idea of practicing our breath through all different positions that we might want to use in labor and how key that was for me too to be in comfortable positions and then other positions that maybe weren't the most comfortable for me um say that deep squatting position and holding it there and practicing my breath there just knowing that I could knowing that I could get into that position and I could breathe in it and I could release tension as best as possible all that stuff for me was so key going into labor and just trusting that I would be able 
to get through and I had felt some of these sensations before and that would it would be familiar to me in that stage. Like I was saying, I'm someone that holds tension in pelvic floor. So this was so key for me personally. No, I think that's really good and really good um, experience to share too of kind of how you worked through that. Because anytime we can address fears going into birth, I go over this with clients as well. Um, if we can start talking through them, finding resources um, that clients will then go into birth with less fear or knowing if this fear does surface during labor, what they can do to address it really builds their confidence going in and can really affect how they feel throughout labor. And so this idea for people who are listening and wondering kind of fear, tension, pain, how is this all related? So, and this is in general, not just in labor, but when we experience fear and fear of any, any sort, what happens is our sympathetic nervous system, or if you've heard of the fight or flight response, that gets kind of ignited in our body. And when that fight or flight response happens, basically kind of blood flow gets sent to all our extremities because we need to either stay and fight or we need to run and flight from what's happening, right? Um, and so that flow is taken away from the uterus. So there's less kind of oxygen and blood flow to the uterus and more to our extremities. So when we're fearful, that blood flow goes and we end up tensing up other areas of our body that aren't necessarily helping us in the labor process and could for some potentially even slow down the labor process just because not all of that goodness is going to our uterus. So tension builds there and then that can also contribute to the pain that we experience. So really working on those fears ahead of time, having strategies in place during labor to help you release that tension can actually change the pain or sensations that you're experiencing during labor. Um, and everyone, you know, talks about their labor differently um, and their experience, whether pain or no pain. I know kind of sharing my own experience um, is I wouldn't actually say that my labor, I there weren't really actual painful points. And I know some people you're probably listening being like, how is that even possible? Um, this sensation I describe my labor as is there were definitely intense parts. Um, it was more of an intensity versus pain. The actual, the times where I would say I felt pain was actually, um, I had a student mid midwife on my midwifery team. And when she checked my cervix, that was painful. Um, and when my main midwife checked, there was no pain. So I think in terms of just kind of learning, um, that's actually where pain came in. But in general, I would describe my labor as more of there, there was an intensity to it. I didn't describe it as pain. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with the preparation going into it, but I don't know, Jess, how would you describe yours? Because I know a lot of people do say it's painful and I think everyone has the right to feel however they felt about their labor. Um, and if it was super painful or whether it wasn't, or it was calm or it wasn't, um, everyone will have a different experience. So it's always good to hear everyone's, you know, different experience of their labor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so funny that you say that because afterwards, I couldn't use the word pain to describe 
what I felt either. My doulas talked about it being extreme sensation and that was what was going through my mind the entire 37 hours that I was in labor. It was extreme sensation. It was just different than pain because it took up everything. It took up every ounce of my being. That pain wasn't the right word. It was extreme sensation. And I think that, yeah, I know I always... I always wonder if, because uh, I've never experienced pushing a baby out of my vagina, and if that sensation would have been painful, because that's what my clients typically will talk about as being painful. So I'm wondering, I just assume that the sensation of contractions versus pushing baby out of your vagina are different extreme sensations. I think that's a really interesting, I haven't heard that before in terms of, I always love hearing the language that everyone uses to describe um their experience. So it's interesting that you didn't categorize yours as pain either. It was different. Mm -hmm. This is just reminding me of one other thing too. So I labored at home with my daughter Steele for about 30 hours and we were hoping for or planning for a home birth and that didn't work out. We needed to transfer to hospital, but I wanted to labor at home because I just felt most comfortable there and that's where I wanted to be. Um, Again, for me, going into this brand new experience, being around areas of comfort just made me feel better. But now, second pregnancy, thinking about birth, and I'm not sure how I'm going to want to birth this baby, I would not want to stay at home very long. And it was because of my experience during the first time around, just that transfer to the hospital, emergency C-section, I would probably feel more fear, uh, therefore more tension, therefore more pain if we were to stay home longer. So again, just... Yeah, just knowing yourself and trusting your instincts on where you want to be and how you want to feel during your labor and birth um, and going with your gut. I think that's such an important point to bring up, Jess. And I think that's the thing is that there's no there's no right or wrong of like who your care provider should be, where you should labor, where you should give birth. And I think important part with talking with clients is like a non-judgmental space, right? Where in terms of like you, exactly what Jess said, for you to know where you feel the most comfortable is going to be different for every person. So I was similar to Jess. I was planning a home birth and we did have a home birth um, because I, I felt that's where I was going to be the most comfortable. And I know not everyone feels that way as well. So I have a lot of clients who are like, they'd rather be at the hospital because they feel more comfortable there. I'd also say I have clients who are, um, who are, you know, professionals in terms of whether they're midwives or physicians or nurses. And either because of what they do for work, of being in that hospital environment, or in spite of what they do for work, they feel more comfortable, whether it's at home or in the hospital. So just to know if you're listening to this and you're trying to figure out who your care provider should be, where you should give birth. It's good to check out all of the options and then kind of see, as Jess said, what does your gut say? Where do you feel like you will be the most comfortable? Um, And because being at one place or the other doesn't guarantee a certain kind of birth. Um, So just to know what works for you and and if you have a partner, whoever's going to be around you, to really look into the options versus just making an assumption and going that way. And also looking at the evidence of what, um, what may be the best option for you. 
So, and you know, why in media, in movies, on TV, do we always see pregnant moms pushing out babies on their backs? Mm -hmm. Yes. So that's, it's a pretty traditional, um, and traditional in terms of, um, kind of the, the 20th century of, um, giving birth is either on our back or kind of semi sitting, um, in terms of that. Whereas like prior to that, it was common to give birth in all different positions, sideline, hands and knees, squatting, um, all over the place. And then kind of when birth transitioned into the hospital, um, you start seeing that position, uh, more often. Yeah. So in terms of with birth positions, um, sometimes it can be care provider preference of why you end up in a certain position. Sometimes as the birthing person, you make that decision that you want to be in that position for birth. There are so many factors. And so I just really encourage clients to learn, um, the benefits, um, of all of the different positions, and talking to their care providers before, really, really important because to make assumptions of what you think your care provider prefers or what they're open to, what they're not open to, I highly don't recommend making assumptions. Um, and also to know with every care provider is going to be different, right? So if you're with an obstetrician, um, at least here in Canada, how it works is You'll have your main obstetrician for your whole pregnancy, but then there tends to be a group of them within the hospital and you don't know who's going to be on call. So it may not be the same physician that you had throughout your pregnancy. Um, same, if, same if you have a general practitioner. And with midwives, with collectives, generally you'll have a few key midwives on your team and one of them will be at your birth. So I really highly recommend asking questions through your pregnancy, um, writing it down in terms of I like to call it birth preferences as opposed to a birth plan um, but your preferences for birth um, bringing it with you if you're going to a hospital or a birth center and so you just have this information of this would be the position ideally or positions that you would like to be in um, and ultimately going with what your gut tells you is ideal I know that isn't always how labor and birth goes but again I think researching this before you go into birth can make a huge difference. Um, in terms of positions that can potentially help decrease um, tearing, so positions like sideline, hands and knees um, are two positions that have been shown that can help decrease. And the idea behind that is in those positions. So for example, hands and knees, the outlet or kind of where the baby comes out there is a lot of space that they can come out when you're on hands and knees. So it kind of opens the outlet, as we call it. Um, if you're on your back or semi-seated, it somewhat closes the outlet. So because of this being a podcast, I can't show you my pelvic model. But um, you, at the bottom of our spine, we have our sacrum, which is a kind of a triangle bone, and then our tailbone at the bottom. Um, if those bones are able to open and your pelvis is able to open and have more freedom of movement, it can really help baby as baby is crowning and, and being born. When we're lying on our back or semi-seated, there's just less opportunity for those bones or joints to actually move. If your gut tells you to be in those positions, that can be different. Your body wants to be in that position for whatever reason. Um, sometimes if you are told to be in that position, you may not feel like you have the same freedom of movement. 
Um, something also to consider is epidural. So with an epidural, there is often, um, you're told that there's less options for a position. And that's just because there can be varying degrees of freezing um, of the lower body. And so their concern is for safety if you don't have feeling in your legs. Something I, I talk to my clients about is sideline, even with an epidural, should often be an option to try as long as your vitals and baby's vitals are good. So in sideline, it again opens that outlet, um, allows the sacrum and tailbone to move. And it's gravity neutral. So it's not like you're pushing baby up a hill, but you're not necessarily having the help of gravity of baby coming out. So it's been shown that it can help decrease um, in terms of the risk of tearing with that. So just something to be aware all these other positions. And as Jess said, you won't necessarily see these positions in the movies. Um, so something to definitely find resources that show different options. And because we now have with YouTube, there's lots you can end up looking up to see all these different options in terms of birth position that you may not have been aware of before. And again, ask, go over this with your care provider so you understand kind of what they're open to. So that's why it can be good to go over with your partner or anyone who's going to be at your birth or if you have a doula, these different positions that you would like to be able to try when you're in labor and for birth. Um, just so that people know ahead of time, because I tell my clients, especially my first time moms, when you're in labor, you may not fully be there in the moment. I don't know if you experienced that, Jess. Like I remember feeling like, People talk to you about being in your primal brain. So you're not uh, consciously aware of time. Like time isn't even a factor. Something may feel like it was five minutes and it was five hours. Um, so you won't fully consciously be aware of what's going on and always be able to give your opinion or what would you prefer, especially depending where you are in labor. So anyone around you knowing these things ahead of time can just really help create a positive experience and help different options be there. Again, medical uh, necessity takes priority. Um, and just to know these things ahead of time, just so you're not in the middle of labor and then looking back and then realizing the different options that you may have been able to try. Yeah, fascinating. I have had a couple of clients in the US who as soon as going to hospital and being checked in, getting to their room, uh, needed to be hooked up that again, this is just hospital policy and had to be on the hospital bed. So they had no options to be standing or moving around. It was hospital policy that they had to be in the hospital bed. So I think, again, just having these conversations and knowing these things um, is so key going into it because then you can mentally prepare yourself and knowing that even if you must be on hospital bed, there's so many positions from there that you are mm -hmm. hopefully, mm -hmm. that they will hopefully allow you to mm -hmm. test and try if, again, mm -hmm. vitals are looking okay. And something to actually bring up about within the hospital bed, and I know it's pretty awesome here in the hospital. They just got these, they're called the peanut ball. And I know they're becoming more well-known kind of throughout the world. And it's, if you know what a birth ball is, it's kind of the same material as a birth ball, but it's shaped like a peanut shell. And so a really helpful um, reason to use them is if you are in bed or if, you know, if you're laboring at home, 
And if you're in sideline or you want to be in different positions, having the peanut ball, that specific shape um, can be helpful to help keep the pelvis open. So rather than stacking like eight different pillows and all these configurations, just having the peanut ball and using that shape can actually help keep your pelvis open even while you're resting um, or with an epidural if you're in bed. Yes, I wish I had have had access to one so badly because as soon as we got to the hospital, basically as soon as we got to the hospital, I had to be sidelined. It was the only place that Steele's heart rate was somewhat stable. Um, and la- yeah, mm-hmm. oof, laboring on your side, mm-hmm. just having to be in one position with the legs together was not a really fun place to be. And I think the peanut ball would have been a game changer mm-hmm. in that situation. Yeah, I have a lot of clients say they found it to be um, just help with comfort um, if you're not able to necessarily move. So Mm -hmm. talk to us a little bit about pushing baby out. I know that I've had a lot of clients who have had difficult experiences with pushing in terms more so of their care provider who was coaching them to push at certain intervals uh, for a certain amount of times um, they were holding their breath while they were trying to push baby out is there a more effective way mm-hmm. so yeah so there's coach pushing and then we kind of call the other um, type of pushing is spontaneous pushing and so what happens with coach pushing, how you're saying, Jess, is generally um, the expecting mom will be told to hold their breath. Sometimes someone's counting to 10. So you're um, telling her, hold your breath, bear down. Sometimes you're told to push as if you're having a bowel movement. That's a whole other discussion because we don't actually want you pushing to have a bowel movement. But this bearing down and holding your breath. And it's a pretty traditional way of um, pushing. And some of the things that can happen with that is so when you're holding your breath for that long, it's taking oxygen away from you. And then through that, it can be taking oxygen away from baby. So they may notice if you're pushing like that for a period of time, baby's vitals or your vitals may not be where they want them to be. Um, Also with all that kind of pressure downwards, it can be putting pressure on the baby, but it also can be putting pressure, excessive pressure on your pelvic floor and pelvic organs. So one of the risks, again, with that, it can be pelvic organ prolapse um, can contribute to tearing as well. And also exhaustion. If you're holding your breath and you're taking oxygen away, and this is the end of labor, right? So even if you had a a kind of quote unquote fast or precipitous labor, you can still be pretty, you know, tired at that point. So then to add that onto it um, is doesn't always benefit. Um, in terms of the actual pushing. And when we talked about at the beginning of the episode is that your uterus is what's actually pushing. So we don't necessarily need to add on to that per se. Um, Another side of it is, so once we get to 10 centimeters um, dilation and fully effaced in terms of the cervix, traditionally it's, you know, if you've been checked at that point by your care provider, a lot of times women get told, okay, time to push. But what um, has actually been found is sometimes at 10 centimeters, we don't get that urge to push. Baby still needs to move down in the birth canal, still needs to rotate. Baby is doing just as much work as you're doing. Um, And sometimes our body takes a bit of a break. And not to say that baby isn't moving down, things aren't happening internally, but 
you may not get that urge to push at 10 centimeters, which a lot of times is can be actually a smart thing, right? Our body is re-energizing to then give that energy to the uterus to really be able to push and have that energy to push. Um, so what happens is as baby moves down, um, once baby hits a certain point um, in her pelvis, something called the fetal ejection reflex happens. And that's when, if you're listening to this or you know anyone who's experienced this, it's that overwhelming spontaneous urge to bear down and push and they just they go with it they breathe through it um, and try to release and relax and allow the uterus to do that work so that's more the spontaneous pushing side with spontaneous pushing what can happen is you won't necessarily be um, your body may not hold its breath you'll be letting some of the air out Um, they also find that with spontaneous pushing um, like with the coach pushing, there's that 10 counting to 10 and bearing down when you spontaneously push, you won't necessarily be having bearing down for that long period of time. So there can be less stress on the pelvic floor and pelvic organs. Um, and basically your body is taking over and doing what it, the amount of force and energy and for the length of time it needs. So there's potentially less um, compromise of the pelvic floor and pelvic organs, um, potentially less tearing as well. So there's just these two different sides. Coach pushing is really traditional. Again, talk to your care provider ahead of time to see what they feel or their opinion on it is. Um, because like I said, you may get to 10 centimeters and some, for some clients, it could be half an hour, it could be two hours later before they get the urge to push. So just to know if that happens to you, that isn't, necess- that isn't necessarily a bad thing. So I think this is something worth talking to your care provider about. Uh, it's a topic that I feel like I've been seeing coming up more and more, um, especially actually on social media, uh, spontaneous pushing versus, versus coached pushing. And again, you won't necessarily see spontaneous pushing in the movies. So, or on TV, right? You'll see a lot of the coach pushing. Yeah, so it can be helpful just to talk to your care provider, just to see what their opinion is on this, um, where they stand on it, um, finding out what your preferences are, and then also seeing if that matches, right? With your your care provider or the team that'll be with you. And if you have a doula going over this with them as well um, and with your partner, so then during labor that they can advocate for your preferences in regards to so many things throughout labor, but also the pushing phase. And this is also a time too where I have a lot of clients and even with an epidural, like I always think about a recent client I had who um, she had an epidural, had zero feeling and um, used her flower breath and she was with a local doula and her doula messaged me after that she was super impressed with her client that she was able to visualize this and use it um, throughout the pushing phase and she couldn't feel anything. So it's just something, again, to keep in mind that all of this prep you do for when you're in labor and she wasn't necessarily planning to have an epidural, that's where her birth journey went. Um, And she was able to still use all of this preparation to help her regardless of how um, her birth uh, ended up going in terms of um, what she expected or didn't expect it to go. So I really encourage you to do a lot of the the prep that we talked about today. So just going over what we talked about in terms of being aware with Kegels, that Kegels aren't necessarily bad, but in terms of if 
for actually preparing for birth, you want to learn to release and relax your pelvic floor. And then also perineal massage, using the epino to help you prepare physically, but also mentally for birth. We talked about different types of exercise to help prepare your pelvic floor for birth. So if you are strength training, to be aware of the release work that can just really help that birth process. And so we talked about the fear, tension, pain cycles. So this idea of figuring out what your fears are going into labor, how you can address them or how you can um, manage them if they do come up during labor, because this can affect the tension in your entire body and affect the pain that you experience. And then lastly, we talked about birth positions and types of pushing, things to keep in mind um, and how they can affect your pelvic floor and different, you know, things or positions to look into ahead of time and to talk over with your care provider and your support team. Such a fascinating conversation. Anita, so grateful for all your expertise in this realm (laughs) as you're able to really just talk about it from a different perspective and really from... (laughs) Yeah, I love hearing about your clinical perspective working with the pelvic floor. I just think it's so interesting mm-hmm. to hear really the differences in what your clients have experienced and how your treatment and other pelvic health physios treatments can be so effective for helping birthing moms. Mm-hmm. So on the next episode, we're going to be talking about diastasis recti. This is a topic that you might have heard of if you are pregnant or postpartum. It's something that we want you to be aware of going into pregnancy and birth and postpartum. We're going to be talking about exactly what diastasis recti is, myths and facts, because there are a lot of myths that do surround diastasis. There's a lot of fear that we want to help calm surrounding diastasis and we will also talk about exercise strength training and movement and how we can best prevent the severity of diastasis in pregnancy or if that is possible at all and best heal diastasis post-pregnancy so thank you all so much for being with us today we're so grateful to have you here and we'll see you next time We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 